0: Hey there, this is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the storytelling family, where we get pretty hardcore with true stories that could go there, if you know what I say. Live on stage, stripped of notes and inhibitions. I'm your host, Jessica Holmes. Now, get ready to rock and the hard place stories with a hard and fast slam from our June 27th summer season launch show. During the slam, we randomly draw names from a random vessel and the chosen few have five minutes to stand on stage and rock out with their socks out. Because everybody must get stoned. It's late night stories. All right, our first slammer of the evening is Ollie Shannon.
1: Ollie. So I don't know if this is going to be five minutes long, and I'm really kind of nervous, but I'm going to tell you a story that my mom would die if she knew that I told you. But it's fucking hilarious. So so here we go. So I was about, I don't know, 18 or 19, and I'd just gotten a job in Washington, D.C., And I decide that night to go out and say goodbye to all my friends. My mom had offered to take me to the airport in the morning. I think the idea of me moving far, far away awoke something in her because she wasn't super excited about me in general. So uh, I go out and I say goodbye to all my friends. I leave my baggage by the door and it's packed and it's perfect. And I come home that night and my baggage is moved and I think, Well, that's kind of weird, like, I don't really know, whatever. Go to bed. The next morning, my little brother, who's about five, and this beautiful little kid just, like, comes up and wakes me up, and I get up in this beautiful splendor, because I love him so much. And I go downstairs, and I sit at the family table. So my mom has made breakfast like she did every morning. She made toast and bacon and eggs and all this beautiful food, and it's laid out in front of us. Me, I'm the oldest of four. So there's me, two little boys, and a little girl. My mom, my dad, sitting at this table. And my mom says, hey, I repacked your luggage. And I was like, okay. Like, I, you know, at like that age where I'm like, whatever, I can take care of myself. I know how to fold clothes. And then she says, I found your stuff. And I'm like, shit, what? The What does she mean? Like, I'm racking my little brain. It's just going and going and going. I'm like, stuff. And then it hits me. She was talking about the stuff you never, ever want your parents to see. Stuff you buy at shops, like 19 and over. (laughs) Stuff that never, right? It's in a Ziploc plastic bag. Didn't even think about it. So I'm kind of like... Well, okay, just roll with it. I'm leaving soon. It's cool. So I'm just like, oh, yeah? She's like, well, so I looked up how to clean them on the internet. And they said they're dishwasher safe. Only on the top rack. So I washed them for you. I've never been speechless in my life until that moment. And I just sit there and stare at her. And then she says, If I could pick a size, it would be way bigger than that tiny thing. (laughs) Understand that two of my little brothers and my little sister and my father are sitting at this table. And I realized then that I was between a rock. And my mother, the hard place. <laughs> All right, the second story slammer of the evening is
0: Matt Melton. Matt was a featured for the out-of-towners. Hey, Matt, I actually played your story at a comedy workshop, a storytelling comedy workshop, and I played your story. Because I thought, you did? Oh, you're famous again. Oh, really? Yeah. High five. <laughs>
2: I told that story for Boise's Funniest Person, and I, they did not accept me. <laughs> so, good enough to teach other people, though, I guess. So I did. I was a, a featured storyteller in December. Uh, I'll catch you up real, real quick, because it's kind of a story in the similar vein. I was an actor in L.A. for a while, and I sold my car to get down to Los Angeles to... Be an actor, which was super dumb. It was the dumbest thing I've ever done. It's real hard to get around Los Angeles without a car. As it turns out, it would have been really easy 80 years ago when they had, like, rails and stuff. Watch Go Go Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It'll tell you the whole story about what happened to public transit in L.A. It's a mess. There's a service in L.A. called Central Casting. It's out of Burbank. And what they do is they, they cast for, like, 80% of the extras for movies and, like, specific things. Like, you can call in every day, and they'll be like... At the CBS slot, we need 70-year-old Mexican men for a Matthew McConaughey picture or something. And they'll tell you, if if you are that, you call them and then you can go work as an extra or whatever. 95% of the time, if you work through them, you have to call them. But every now and again, if they need something real specific, they will call you. I was working at a sub shop in the Valley when I got a call from Central Casting. They said, hey, we need somebody about your, my description, my weight and height and everything for this thing out in Gardena. Now, I lived in Eagle Rock, and if you know anything about LA, Eagle Rock and Gardena is wicked far. But I, I was between a rock and a hard place. I was not making a ton of money at the sub shop, but even less as an actor. So I was, hey, if they're gonna come to me for work, I better see what I can do to get down there. So I got on the bus to Gardena and as it turns out the metro and the Gardena city bus are two different buses and they don't transfer and I literally had enough money to get there and back that was it so I didn't have enough money to transfer to the bus so I had to like panhandle to get money to get down to Gardena to pay for the bus so I like I need this to get back I don't want to be stuck in South LA oh no thank you so I get to this. They tell me to go to this uh, for obvious reasons. They tell me that I have to get to this law office in Gardena, and I heard I didn't really hear it all that well, but it was like something, something, a law firm, something. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a corpse on law and order or something dope like that. I can do that. I can, I can be dead. That's fine. So I get to this law office in Gardena. Finally, I think like a cleaning lady took pity on me and gave me a dollar as I'm sitting on the bus to get down there. And I get there, and I'm like, expect you know, I'd done a couple of shoots by this point. I'm expecting like camera crews and lights and trucks, and there's nothing. It's just like a business park. It's like, well, that's weird. All right, so I go up there, and I get up there, and I talk to the receptionist at the the address they gave me. I'm like, hey, I'm here for this thing, and she said, okay, go sit in the conference room. Again, no like director people or movie people is hanging around. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I don't really know what I'm doing here, but you know, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. And I sit down and there's two dudes that look kind of similar to me, similar build and whatever. They take us, a bunch of lawyers in like a, like a lab coat, like doctor dude, take us down into the parking lot. And again, the whole time I'm like, well, we, we're, we're headed to set right now, right? This is, we're, we're, we're on our way. We're, we're real close to doing something. And they've got a car out there. And uh, they tell us all to get in the car one by one. It's like, so it's like a red Hyundai or whatever. And we all get in the car and we, they tell us to sit in the car. And one by one, they, they, they excuse everybody but me. And I'm like, okay, there's no cameras still. I'm not sure what we're doing here. This was central casting. This should be a film gig. I don't understand this. But I need money, like, desperately. Like, I have barely enough to get home, so fine. So they send everybody else away but me. And then there's a whole team of people standing around me in the car, just. Would you mind adjusting the seat, please? Taking notes, and like, how about uh, uh, reaching over, like you're grabbing a bag of Cheetos. I'm like, are we rolling? What the fuck is happening? What's going on? And finally, so they tell me to jump out, and they put this, like, deformed seat... In the seat where I was sitting like on the driver's seat, which pushes me right, I'm right up against. My knees are around my ears. Like, see if you can get the seatbelt on now. It's like I can't. I'm crushed up against the front. What are you? I don't understand. I get, it's like a foot and a half. I can't do it. Like if you would turn your head slightly and drape your arm down and sort of put your head over the the steering wheel like that. I'm like, why? What am I doing? And finally, they were just like. Mm. Here's the thing: We need you to look like this, and the guy flips around the thing that, like his his thing that he's holding, and it's a crash scene, and it's a dude who I shit you not looks oh, just like me. <laughs> it's pinstripe shirt, jeans. Because I didn't. I was like, what do I wear? Like I just look nice. I'm like, We're, are we doing a film? Like, what do you mean, just look nice? So I, there, it, it's, a, it's a crash accident and he's dead and he looks literally just like me and they're trying to recreate the circumstances of the crash. <laughs> Apparently, it is very common practice for law firms to hire surrogates. And what surrogates do is if they're trying to prove like, oh, Hyundai is not, a, 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 uh, is not responsible for this guy's death because of reasons, so they try to recreate the circumstances of the accident. I guess it's not common practice to show you the corpse... Of the guy that you are doing, but I mean, rocking a hard place, man. I, I was there for two hours and got paid a whole day, so good news. Thank you,
0: Jake Tucker. Jake Tucker.
3: Well, I have kind of a unique job. I um, maybe it's not unique in itself, I'm a therapist, um, probably probably some, ther- probably some therapists in the crowd. But um, I work at a therapeutic boarding school. So I work with 10 to 15-year-old boys who uh, have some level of emotional disturbance. And um, I, I actually, one of the metaphors I use with them is you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So I thought I would tell the story of how I came up, or how I decided to start using that metaphor. Um, And I use that as kind of a, you're stuck between not doing anything at all and doing the hard work, kind of a rock, and doing the hard work of figuring out your life and figuring out what you're going to do. So last summer, I have have a client that I'll call Billy. His name's not Billy, but I can't use his name. So uh, Billy... Was a boy who is and and was in, incredibly disturbed, very frustrated, um, very angry at at life in general. Uh, a lot of that had to do with his mom being very, very demanding and completely un, unable to please. Um, one of the things that I the first one of the first things that I helped Billy get through with his family was his mom had breast cancer. Uh, about about two months after they enrolled, they found out. And uh, this was the first time Billy had ever been able to sh- to cry about his mom having breast cancer. We, we were actually um, in session when she told him. And he, he, he had told me before that how much he hated his mom and how much he would never love his mom. And this was the first time he was able to shed some tears about that. So fast forward a couple months to uh, last summer, one of the things we do with our boys is we take them to, up into the mountains and, uh, and have kind of an outdoor wilderness experience. And um, in Stanley, Idaho, that's where, that's where uh, we ended our trip last summer, last July. And uh, Billy was having a particularly hard time. And at one point he said... Uh, we, we were leaving Stanley. We were about to leave, coming back to to our campus in Emmet, and he said, "Jake, I don't, I, I hate you. I don't want you to be my therapist anymore. I want, I want a new therapist." And I said, "Well, we can talk about that once we get back to campus, but right now is not the time to talk about that." And uh, he he jumped out of the car. And there's a post office in Stanley, and next to the post office, there's a, a, a kind of a gravel field, and and there's several rocks in that gravel field, and he was he, he was th- throwing his hands up and screaming and running around this little area, and w- what we have to do sometimes with the boys is contain them, and that means we have to wrap them up and and actually hold them and we had to do that with with Billy at that time and, and he dropped to the ground and he was, he was literally against a rock screaming I'm being raped they're raping me please call the police please call the police and there are people walking by people walking by and of course if I was one of those people I would probably call the police and they did and so <laughs> and and so uh, there's there's myself, the therapist, and two direct care staff is what we call them, holding him down, and he's chucking rocks at my head, and I'm dodging rocks, and he's saying, "I'm being raped, and you have to let me go and I want to go home and this is bullshit, and you guys are fucking idiots and uh, and the and the sheriff shows up and um, I'm expo- trying to explain what's happening to, and what's going on and the sheriff actually is pretty understanding um and and uh billy at that time is looking at the sheriff and saying they're 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 trying to rape me in the ass they're trying to fuck me in the ass and you have to stop them take me to jail i just want to be out of this place and um the sheriff talks to billy and and kind of explains the situation and um and I'm going to fast forward a little bit. He he calms down after about an hour of this, of, of being held to the ground. Uh, and I and I don't, it, I don't know if you if, if you've ever had a sense of self doubt. But as for me myself, as a therapist, I thought I, this is I've got to get out of this. I can't do this. I <laughs> I am terrible at my job. Uh, this shouldn't be happening. Um, and I don't know if you've ever gone to a, theris, but a therapist, but I guarantee there are times when they're Thinking to themselves, "Holy fuck, I can't do this anymore." <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You need a therapist, <laughs> uh, uh, So, so anyways, we get him calmed down. We we get him back to campus, and uh, I the next day I realize my mistake, and I go to I go to Billy, and I say. Billy, what I should have said to you when you asked to get out of my caseload, I should have said, there's no way I would let you go. You were, you were too important to me. And, and I kid you not, that was his turning point. He had, he, he had this amazing smile on his face when, when I said that. It was like he was just waiting for me to fail him. Waiting for me to, to, just like everyone else in his life, say, you can go. I want you to be in someone else's caseload. And I want you to go away. And, I, and, and, and uh, two months ago at his graduation, uh, he's, he, he turned to me, and he's not the most expressive kid, but he turned to me and he said, thank you for never giving up on me. I was literally between a rock and a hard place. I was literally against that rock. And I remember looking at you and seeing the tears in your eyes and knowing you were never going to give up on me. And I and I and I thank you for that, and you're the reason I'm here, and and I'm not the reason that he did so much hard work, but um, but so so from now on I use that metaphor of between a rock and a hard place because of that, so.
2: Bean, bean,
4: yay! <laughs> I think we should thank Jessica for her hard work and everything that she's done. There's just been a, uh, I have a friend that lives in New Hampshire and she talks about this all the time and how fun it is. Rockin' the Heart Spades, I have like vignettes of, of, of stuff that's going on. Um, sh- short story, uh, the and the Heart Spades is long time ago uh, I got uh, to go to a seminar in Sun Valley. I was working at the adult uh, ICU. Uh, and I, uh, th- Luke sent me to Sun Valley for this cool thing. And I had this cool Oldsmobile F-81. Still I wish I had that muscle car. Had it until it, Danny was driving it, coming home, doing death of a salesman, and it let three farts and died. <laughs> had it forever and a day. So, but that, I digress. So uh, I went to Sun Valley and uh, I went to the apartment of Stephanie Sedlock and she was seven and she's great. And I just was like, oh, I wanted all this knowledge in my head, knowledge in my head. So I went to her apartment and we went downtown into Haley and had dinner and she drinks tequila. Oh my God. And I could not keep up with her. I'm like 23, you gotta remember, back then. And we go in the bar and uh, they, you know, love the one you're with is on, you know. They just do such a good job of it and everything. And we go to go home and my car won't start. Ah, oh, damn. So they're like, well, we'll take a cab home. And like, well, how are you gonna get home? I'm like, well, well, oh, I'll get home some one way. It's like, you know, it's not that big of a community. I can walk the two miles. You know, and so, but I see two guys coming across the street, and I said, Hey, if you saw a girl like me stand in the street corner, would you give her a ride home? And they said, Sure. I said, See, I'll get home. So go back in the bar, dancing, having a great time, meet Raleigh. Raleigh's like, Oh God, he's like swarthy and just the coolest. And, and, and I don't know shit from Shinola. And, you know, so we're, we, he's gonna take me home. And I'm thinking, I don't know if this is such the right decision to make, you know, I do have some common sense, I guess, maybe. And he gets in, there's a Volkswagen Beetle. I'm like, well, it's gotta be okay, he's got a Beetle. He can't be a rapist, He's driving a Beetle. <laughs> Ted Bundy hadn't come out yet to know that he drove a damn beetle. That would have been a really lot of red flags if I would have known that. So we're heading to Haley. I'm like, I'm not going home, am I? He says, mm, did you want to? I'm like, mm, guess not. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure he turned out to be the cocaine dealer for Sun Valley at the time. This is like 1976, the beginning of 77. And, because he came out with this prescription bottle, I had a like calf full, and I'm like, I didn't know shit about Ned that. I mean, I was smoking weed back then. Still am. But, um... Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> don't turn me in. And So, I didn't have any back then. I didn't know anything about that. So, the, he, I get home, and uh, he gives me Crabs. And then shortly after getting the crabs, I meet Danny, my husband, of 28 years almost together, 38. the very beginning of our relationship. Well, pretty sure I gave Danny crabs, too. But we were still, you know, new in the relationship, hadn't, you know, in the monogamous yet at that point. So he has to come to me because he's gone to a prostitute. Didn't even know there were prostitutes in, in, in Boise, but there are. Or there were back then, even then. So, and, and he's got the crabs, so he tells me he's got crabs, and he thinks he's giving me the crabs. <laughs> Rockin' a hard spot. You get it? Well... God bless Danny Peterson's heart. He died in 2008, and I love him dearly, and I miss him desperately. And I never told him that I was the one that had the power. Like
0: so our last story slammer is Lexi. You ready to do this? this? Is Lexi? Amber's excited. Lexi's
5: terrified. It's
0: perfect. Yeah.
5: So I like to say that my friend Amber made me do this. It's all her fault. So I don't have crabs, so I don't know if you guys are going to laugh as much. Um, Sorry, I guess. Um, So I worked for Boise State Housing for four years. I was an RA. If anybody lived on campus and they hated their RA, I'm sorry. Um, But one of my favorite stories about being an RA was my first year. I had a resident, and I'm going to call him Hank, because if he ever hears this, he's going to kill me. So... Hank was this resident that totally like, ran up to me my very first day that I was on campus, and he was like, oh my god, you're my RA, and I'm gonna love you forever. And I was like, cool, this is gonna be great. And so I'm gonna teach you all of the great things how to succeed at Boise State, cause go Broncos, and like all the cool orange and blue things, and yeah, so. <laughs> For my first two weeks as his RA, Hank came into my room every day, and he was like, can you teach me how to sign up for classes, and can you teach me what I need to do to study, and like all of these things, and it was great. And then about two weeks in, another one of my residents came up to me, and he was like, hey, so um, Hank is having really loud sex in his room. (laughs) And I was like, not Hank. Like, no. No. It was Hank. And it was very loud. And um, so I had to do the awkward, like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, can you, uh, can you tone it down a little bit? Multiple times. Um, so fast forward to the end of the semester. And it's finals week. And finals week is silent week in all of the res halls. We have to be the mean guys. that are like, shut the hell up, please. Um, and I get a phone call. <laughs> on the last night of the semester, and it's like, hey, Hank is being really fucking loud. <laughs> I was like, shit. Okay. And so I, I walk up, and I knock on the door. I'm like, hey, Hank. And he opens the door, butt-ass naked. Like, he's just, he's, he's literally like this. I'm like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> um, um, can you, like, one, can you cover that up? Because nobody wants to see that. And two, can you please shut the fuck up? Like people are trying to study. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And then over his head, I see another one of my residents like peek around the corner. She's naked. I'm like, and it's with her. She's going on her mission this summer.
4: <laughs>
5: She's like, I'm so sorry. Don't tell my mom. So so then they agree to be quiet. And, you know, a few moans later, and then they're done. And then they come back out into the hallway, and I'm in my room, and I'm studying for my finals. And I'm like, I don't even want to talk to you guys ever again. We're just done. We're done with this. And she comes in, and she knocks on my door, and she's like, I am so sorry. And I just want to tell you that I'm sorry, and I love you, and I'm so sorry. Okay? We won't talk about just, please don't tell my mom. Okay, I'm not going to tell your mom. Just shut up and go back to studying. Okay. And then I shut the door, and I hear bang, 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 bang. And it's Hank. And I'm expecting, I'm so sorry, please don't tell my mom. And instead I get two questions. One, you're good with music, right? Yes. Two, do you know how to work the laundry machine? So, okay, we're going to do this in the order. Question number one, yes, I know how to work music. What do you need? And he's like, well, I really need to make this playlist right now okay, what kind of music are you looking for? And he's like, I don't know, like, bounch go <laughs> Hank, did you just ask me to make a sex playlist for you? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. <laughs> and this boy, like, I, I should have framed this by saying this boy is like big, wide eyes, like super happy, like peppy, like wearing his Bronco shirt, and he's like, can you make a sex playlist for me? Question number two was, can you do laundry? And I go, what do you need? One second, and he he like steps away and he goes out into the hallway and he comes back in with like armful. I go, what the fuck is that? These are my sheets. (laughs) I go, okay, and he goes, I haven't washed them all semester. Okay. Well, um, please don't set them, for the love of God, don't set those on my bed. (laughs) And two, let's just walk to the laundry room. And he goes, okay. And he picks them up and he goes, hey, by the way. I go, yeah. And he goes, thank you for being the best RA ever. You're welcome. And he goes, I've had 45 girls in these sheets. (laughs) What? And so he walks up and he puts them in the laundry machine and he goes, I'll just play my playlist every time I do laundry now. Needless to say, he had the best playlist ever, and I know how to do laundry really well. End of story.
0: Thanks for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our Story Party. Board members Bob Haycock, Judy Akelberger, Amy Moran, Hannah Schaefer. Carrie Roundbush, volunteer coordinator Ginny Estes, and yours truly, Jessica Holmes. The late night season is brought to you with generous support from the iconic Overnight Teen Shop. Rock was made possible with the support of Move Yoga and Dance. We're so zen, guys along with big-time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. Rock featured live music from legit rock star Ned Evitt, who also wrote our late-night theme song. Big props to Stephen Baltazari for podcast production and show photography by Paul Budge. Support this story program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at storystorynight.org
4: or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter at Story Story Night.